All right, so yes, we are in uh, Exodus again today. Uh, chapter 32, you are welcome to turn there now. We're going to be spending most of our time there. Uh, and today is the story that uh, most of us are probably familiar with, uh, the story of the golden calf. You know, perhaps on some level, uh, we know it so well that we're maybe even growing tired of it. I was thinking about uh, some of these stories I've been able to preach on, Abraham and Isaac and the Passover and things like, yeah, we know these stories. We know them well. And, and I was reflecting on this and I, I, I realized there hasn't been uh, a single year in my entire life that I wasn't attending church regularly. I know, well, <laughs> and it's mostly been this church, which is really cool, but I, I know the the language of church. I know the stories. I've grow up, grown up learning all these stories and knowing them well. Uh, I know the right things to say or the right things to do. I know how to be a good church boy. Uh, but do I really know Jesus? And uh, I, I believe I've, I've treated a lot of this as kind of checklists. You know, okay, attend church, check. Um, go to Sunday school, check. Uh, make sure I read my Bible enough, check. But I wonder if that's actually something that I can do with Jesus. You know, okay, met Jesus, uh, accepted him as Lord and Savior, check. I think it goes a lot deeper than that. It goes a lot further. And as, as I was reading Exodus 32 again and, and studying it, I'm like, oh man, here is the gospel again. It's clear as day. Here's Jesus Christ again. Here's another reality of the power of Jesus and the weakness of Ben. And so here, here's my point as, as, we, as we dive in. All of your fears, all of your doubts, your pain, your suffering, and all your problems are actually solved in Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected. And Dane Ortland puts it this way. He's not a a bobblehead savior to be smiled at and merely added to an otherwise well-oiled life. He is the mighty sustainer of the universe to whose supreme rule we will bow the knee in either this life or the next. Have you reduced the Lord Jesus to a safe, containable, predictable savior who pitches in and helps out your otherwise smoothly running existence? Have you treated what is spiritually nuclear as a double-A battery? Might one reason we stall out in our growth in Christ be that we have unwittingly domesticated the expansive authority and rule of Jesus Christ over all things? Might we be lacking an appropriate fear of, wonder at, trembling before the Lord Jesus, the real Jesus, who will one day silence the raging of the nations with a moment's whisper? If he is the friend of sinners, and if you know yourself to be a sinner— then let him befriend you more deeply than you ever have. Open up to him as you do to no other earthly friend. Let him love you as a friend of failures, the invincible ally of the weak. You don't have to go through security to get to Jesus. You don't have to get in line or take a ticket. No waving for his attention. No raising your voice to make sure he hears you. In your smallness, he notices you. In your sinfulness, he draws near to you. In your anguish, he is in solidarity with you. So let's unpack this story today with that in mind. 
So we're, we're starting in, in verse uh, 1 here, right, right in chapter 32, the golden calf. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the reins of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the reins of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So, Point number one, idol worshipers distort the worship of God. And so last week, Pastor Doug was, was unpacking some of this with us. This, you know, they've exited Egypt, and now God is setting up a new way of life. And it's really exciting and cool, but kind of boring to read sometimes. That's why all of a sudden we're like 10 or 15 chapters uh, doing this big jump, because there's a whole unpacking of how things are going to work now. Uh, they, they've now... Uh, have a new covenant with God. They have left their old way. And then Moses heads up a mountain to talk with God. And everyone gets impatient. Now, impatient people don't think clearly. Impatient people drive other people around them crazy. Not only were they impatient, they were trying to figure out a new way of life, this new covenant. Eugene Peterson says, they left their slave life for good. They also left security, culture, beauty, and routine. In the desert wastes of the Sinai, they were absolutely dependent upon a God they could not see and with no granaries from which they could get their allotment of food. All they had was the fact of their freedom, prayers and songs, and a precarious diet of nondescript flatbread and quail. So, of course... None of us here can relate to being impatient. You know, none of us have any idea what it's like to have our routines completely out of whack. And, of course, that's not true. Of course, our lives have been more messed with than ever in the last couple of years. And uh, I've been noticing a lot right now on social media is just ripe with these all caps, you know, if you're really angry, it's all in all caps, all capital letters. So it's really loud. It says, I can't take it anymore. It's everywhere. I can't take this anymore. Open the country back up. Our patience is just obliterated. I was watching uh, the Canucks lose once again yesterday. Uh, and uh, they were in Carolina. And during the, uh, just before the intermission, they were showing uh, people in the Carolina Hurricanes uh, store in the arena, and I'm like, wow, look at all those people in there, and none of them are wearing masks, and I'm like, boy, that looks, that looks so nice, <laughs> you know, I was like, wow, this is, this is crazy, uh, but boy, it's hard to be patient, isn't it? And growing up, I really enjoyed uh, my time spent with my father playing video games, so we, we played a lot of Mario Kart on our Super Nintendo, 
And, uh, and now it's pretty cool because Miles and Nora are really enjoying um, playing Mario with, with me. And so we, we've started to play once in a while, but Miles particularly is really enjoying it, and he gets impatient. He goes, okay, can we play now? Can we play now? No, not yet, not yet. And the other day he was getting like just so impatient that he was driving us crazy. And finally Shana said, you know what, Miles? If you talk about this one more time, it's off the table. We're not doing it. Okay. And so he, you know, saunters over. And he does this, too. He holds his hands like this. And, hey, hey, Dad, I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> and it's not about this thing, but I just want to know about that thing that you know, but we're not talking about. When can we do that? And I'm like, oh, boy. You, he just couldn't contain himself. And again, Peterson writes about the Israelites. We are tired of waiting. We will wait no longer. We are tired of nothing day after day. We want something. Make us gods. In their impatience, in their boredom, and ultimately in their sin, the Israelites distort the worship of God. They take what is best for them and they throw it away for what they can see right now. And when we are impatient... And when we are upset or when we're bored and out of routine, then at times our felt needs and current reality is the most pressing thing for us at each day. And this isn't always bad, but it is when we lose sight of Jesus. If all we see are the problems around the world and all the problems around our lives, it's easy to lose sight of Jesus. In Hebrews, it says this in, in chapter 12. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blaze the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. The Israelites lost focus and they forgot God. God rescues his people he hears them, he saves them, and his people rebel pretty quickly. So, I want to read the rest of the story in, in Exodus 32, uh, starting in verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt? 
with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say with an evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger, relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. The Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and the back they were written. Tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of cry of defeat, but the sound of sinning that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it in the water and made the people of Israel drink it. Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, this man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. And then Moses saw the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from the gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. The sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague to the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. A lot in there. Number two, idol worshippers deserve the judgment of God. In the Chronicles of Narnia, the magician's nephew, uh, Diggory and Polly, enter another world, and they end up waking Queen Jadis, the main antagonist. So, Hannah, have you got to this part in the story? I know Hannah's reading the story. Okay, we're good. Perfect. Don't want to give too many spoilers. So, so later in the story, Aslan creates the land of Narnia and creates all these creatures. And so Diggory is looking to see if Aslan can help his sick mother. And here is Aslan's response. 
This is the boy, said Aslan, looking not at Diggory, but at his counselors. This is the boy who did it. Oh dear, thought Diggory, what have I done now? Son of Adam, said the lion, there is an evil witch abroad in my new land of Narnia. Tell these good beasts how she came here. A dozen different things that might, he might say flashed through Diggory's mind, but he had the sense to say nothing except the exact truth. I brought her, Aslan, he answered in a low voice. For what purpose? I wanted to get her out of my own world back into her own. I thought I was taking her back to her own place. How came she to be in your world, son of Adam? By, by magic. The lion said nothing, and Diggory knew that he had not told enough. It was my uncle, Aslan, he said. He sent us out of our own world by magic rings. At least I had to go because he sent Polly first. And then we met the witch in a place called Charn, and, and she just held on to us when you met the witch, said Aslan in a low voice, which had the threat of a growl in it. She woke up, said Diggory, Diggory wretchedly, and then turning very white, I mean, I woke her because I wanted to know what would happen if I struck a bell. Polly didn't want to. It wasn't her fault. I fought her. I know I shouldn't have. I think I was a bit enchanted by the, the writing on the bell. Do you? asked Aslan, still speaking very low and deep. No, said Diggory. I see now I wasn't. I was only pretending. There was a long pause, and Diggory was thinking all the time. I've spoiled everything. There's no chance of getting anything from my mother now. What happens when Moses confronts Aaron in the situation? Aaron tries to shift the blame. He tries to belittle the problem, and he doesn't tell the whole truth. You know, well, Moses, this is a, it's going to be a real fun story. You know, we're, we're going to sit down and have quail and laugh about this eventually, but you see these people, Moses, these people, they came and they said that you're taking too long up there. And, you know, I kind of agree. What were you doing up there, Moses? What's going on? You were gone for a long time. Well, anyway, I was trying to stall, and they gave me all their gold, and then I was carrying the gold, and then I tripped, and it went into the fire, and you know me, I'm such a klutz, and then all of a sudden, out of the fire came this golden calf, and then people thought, oh, it's a miracle from God, let's worship it, and I tried to stop them, but I thought, you know what, it's their truth, I'll let them have their truth, they do them, and whatever, I'll, I'll just move on, you know, pretty crazy story, right, Moses? But Moses doesn't buy it for a second, he doesn't buy it at all. He enacts judgment on the people. And the, although Moses stepped in the gap and God didn't wipe them all out, judgment still comes down, both from Moses and God. And the whole event is rather terrifying. Which, again, brings us right back to the weight of our own sin in our lives, which I talked about like five weeks ago. And every time I, I preach a sermon... I so badly uh, want to identify with the least detestable character in the story. You know, boy, I wish that I could read the story and be like, yeah, I was Moses for sure, you know. I never would have done that. But I read it and I go, oh man, I'm probably most like Aaron. And, and I was thinking about this, and I think I've shared the story before, but one of my last summers up at Pines, I was a cabin leader, and uh, I was, uh, it was the last week of the whole summer, and it was teen camp, and I was a cabin leader with, with Owen uh, Spizak, and I bought fireworks the week before. 
So, Tim, it's a good thing I'm not working there anymore. And I thought, you know what, the last night we're going to set these fireworks off up on the bowl and it's going to be a great time. It was a very, very dry summer. Anyway, so we go in the middle of the night and we're going out and we're lighting up the fireworks and sending them off. And, uh, and actually what had happened earlier that day, I didn't tell anyone, but I thought, you know what, I should, I should at least maybe ask. So my friend Joe had uh, taken on a leadership role just for the last kind of couple weeks as a training thing. So I went to Joe, I said, I've got all these fireworks. You think it's okay if I set them off? And Joe was like, I don't know anything. So great, that's enough permission for me. So we set off the fireworks and this, uh, we're, we're moving away from the fireworks and all of a sudden this flashlight is just on me. And it's, you know, <laughs> I've caught. And the, the cab director, Dylan, was like, what's going on? And immediately I said, Joe said it was okay. And then we just ran. So, so I, I threw him under the bus immediately, you know? I'm not Moses, I am Aaron in the story for sure. We always want to be the hero in the story. I don't think we ever really are. You know, your sin is your sin. You can't push it off to someone else. You have to own it. And I was reminded of this last week as well. Every so often, the mess in our home gets to be just too much for Shana. And, and we, we, we all get into this mode where, like, okay, let's clean the house so that Shana doesn't kill us. <laughs> and, and we're cleaning, and we were cleaning the kid's room, and we go, where did Miles go? And Shana looks in the hallway, and Miles is doing this, <laughs> away from the room. And Shana's like, what are you doing? And he, like, turns around, and he's like, I'm sneaking away. <laughs> just keeps going. I'm like, well, at least he was honest. You know, it's hard to get mad at him when he was like, I'm owning this. I'm getting away. So I'm sneaking away. But we're right back to this same conversation. God has the right to bring down this white hot judgment. In fact, at this point, it would be unjust if God was indifferent to the sin. And that's the same for our lives. If he's indifferent to the sin, it's not actually justice. And it would have been just for Moses to come down from the mountain and find all of God's people wiped out. So Moses steps in the gap, but judgment still comes. It still comes to a group of them. In our, our basement, I have a treadmill. And uh, I use this treadmill, and, and my kids like to also try to use it. So I always tell them, you cannot use this thing unless I am right here with you. Uh, it's too dangerous. Last week, Miles had a friend over. Poor Miles is getting a lot of these stories, but he's just got some great stories. Miles is down there. We hear this thumping. And Shana, what is that? And then we hear this thud. And then we hear crying. And we're going, oh. So Shana, and like crying, crying. So Shana runs down. And there's Miles holding both of his kneecaps, and he's crying. And Shane says, what happened? And he was like, I am not going to tell you. <laughs> and he's crying, and Shane is like, you've got to tell me. It's okay. I won't be mad. And he's like, oh, I think you'll be mad. <laughs> and he's like, well, should we, get, should we get dad? Let's get your father. Would that be better? He's like, oh, no. Don't get dad. Definitely don't get dad. He'll be really mad. And so he, Shana looks at 
uh, Miles' friend and said, what happened? And immediately he's like, well, we're playing on the treadmill. And Miles fell and threw off the back of it. <laughs> oh, okay. And so Shana brings up Miles upstairs where I am. And you know it's always an interesting way to start a conversation when your wife says, okay, Miles has something to tell you, but we promised Miles that Daddy would not get angry. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I will brace myself not to be angry. Got it. And I still wanted to be angry. I wanted to be angry with him, but surely he learned his lesson. Why? Why should I give him this rule? Why, why would I still even be upset, even after, you know, he hurt himself? Because I know what's best for him, at least in this situation. He cannot handle using the treadmill alone. It'll hurt him. And I've tried to instill this in my children, not because I want to suck out all the joy from their lives, but because they'll live a better life and enjoy it more without injury. And perhaps that's why Moses made them drink the calf and had a group of them uh, come and take their swords and and kill off 3,000 of them. And, And in addition, God bringing this plague in. It's not because God hates them, it's because he loves them. Don't make a golden calf or Moses will make you drink it and he'll stab you. It's better to worship me, you know? I know what's best for you. And our sin, including my own, can make church community difficult and it can make kingdom work difficult. If we take our focus off Christ, we're a hot mess. If we try to run on the, on the treadmill of life without our Father standing next to us, we fall and shoot off the back and we likely will bring others with us. And yet, the church is the format that God wants to use to get things done around here. As Dane Ortland says, The triune God brings us into his plans to restore the universe. He makes us part of his inner circle. He informs us of what he is doing and welcomes our participation in it. And you know, I I don't know what's ahead for the church. I never never did. Uh, You know, you you think you have some idea. Right now, I, I don't have really a clue. Um, which is okay, because it forces me to be on my knees in prayer. But I do know that I want to move forward, and I want to do that with you, if you'll come with me, if we do that together. Which brings us to the last point. Idol worshipers depend on the grace of God. So continuing on a little bit later in the story, in Exodus 34, the Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. And then down to verse 4. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning, and he went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord of God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, 
but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. So this is it, my friends. This is the gospel. We distort worship. We deserve judgment. But we depend on God's grace. And this should be our driving force and our focus in life. We need all the help we can get, and all the help we need can be found in Jesus Christ. Uh, in Colossians 1.15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is everything. Moses goes up to the mountain to stand in the gap for God's people, to atone for their sins, but it was a foreshadow of Christ scaling that terrible hill with a cross on his back and blood dripping from his body. He went up there to stand in the gap to atone for our sins. Don't waste a second of your life not living in proper worship and thankfulness for what God has done for you. It changes everything, and I forget it too often. So let's look at some practical steps here as we finish up. Because Jesus has brought us to God as our mediator, and this is from the Gospel Project, we intercede for others who are in need of salvation, praying for their redemption as we point them to Jesus. So the head, the Lord's anger on sin are for a moment, but his mercy abounds without limit to those who come to him in repentance and confession. While the Lord must be provoked to anger, albeit slowly by sin, his heart quickly overflows with abundant love, mercy, and forgiveness. Our faith in Christ grows and dispels our doubts about God's love for us as we see his eager heart to reconcile us to himself. So how has God's self Revelation in Exodus 34, which I read at the end there, challenged your understanding of who God is. And then the heart. The all-present God sees every thought, word, and action that we have and do. Nothing escapes his notice or sight. He is present wherever we are, and our hearts should be eager to turn away from sin and turn to Christ. Confessing any iniquity, rebelliousness, or sin Believing that God is merciful, gracious, and compassionate, our confession should lead us to a deeper appreciation of his character and cause us to worship him with reverence and awe. So what sins do you need to confess so that you can experience the Lord's abounding grace and mercy toward you? And hands. 
Through Moses' intercession for the people, God's anger was turned away and his covenant renewed. Moses acted as a mediator for the people, standing between them and the Lord. Jesus Christ is our great mediator, and he always lives to make intercession for us. Knowing that Jesus prays for us gives us strength to turn away from sin, to walk in obedience with the Lord, and to extend his mercy and grace to others. Today we have the opportunity to intercede for those who do not know the Lord, praying for their salvation. So who will you pray for, asking our gracious, compassionate, forgiving Lord to save? So we are distorted, we deserve judgment, but we depend on grace. Let me end with this quote. Peel your eyes away from yourself and ponder Christ. Commune with him. Open the vent of your heart. Receive his love and counsel from scripture. See him in the preached word and sacrament at your local church. Look at him and stare. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. And Lord, as we continue to wrestle through things in our own lives and the things that are going around us in this world, and when, when we can get stressed or anxious or have doubts or fear, Lord, may we continue or turn our gaze to you. May our lives be marked with going deeper in our knowledge of you and our relationship with you. Lord, I thank you so much for Jesus Christ. He is everything to us, and we didn't deserve it, and yet... You gave that to us, Lord. And so help us to honor you with our days, with our lives here, Lord, uh, each day as we go. Uh, Help us to do this work, Lord, that you've called us to do. As a church, help us to, to continue to do that in this community in Grand Forks. May the gospel be spread through this town. May more and more people come to know you, to have relationship with you. May we see more and more people being baptized, being discipled, and going deeper. Lord, it is our heart's desire uh, to see that happening here in our community and around Grand Forks and around the world. So help us to do that work, Lord. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.